Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. Every week, we have on cool people from the crypto world to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. Before we hop into the show, I want to give a quick thank you to the sponsors that make this episode possible. On this show, we talk all about the human side of Web3 and the philosophy of Web3. But when you're ready to get your hands dirty, Rabbit Hole is the place to go. Rabbit Hole curates all of the wildness of Web3 into one simple place where users can go to be directed towards positive sum protocols and build their skill set as they do it. In this episode, we talk about Web3 Social, and Rabbit Hole has an intro to NFTs and an intro to DAO skill set that introduces you to all the things you need to know in order to engage in the Web3 Social Stack ecosystem, which is very much made up of DAOs and NFTs. You can check it out at rabbithole.gg. Thank you, Rabbit Hole, for sponsoring On the Other Side. All right, let's hop into the show. I am here with Mark Balin, who has been on the show before, but... I'm super excited to have you back on the show, Mark. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great to great to be back. I'm excited to chat. We chatted, I think, the last time uh, it was like still very bull markety, if I remember. Like the the thing that stuck out to me was re- reflecting on what the bear market might be like at that point. Um, I think that was something we chatted about, and so it's interesting now to be on the other side of that. Um, and be able to to continue chatting. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. On the other side as a podcast name is just coming in full swing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, yeah. but that was a big part of our discussion was like, mm-hmm. what does it feel like now? We talked a lot about what it means to attach your value to a price tag and mm-hmm. trying not to do that in a bull so that it doesn't feel absolutely terrible in a bear, which I think is <laughs> phenomenal advice looking back. <laughs> it, I think the patterns are, I like, there's just enough data, right? Like it, a lot of people, uh, you know, were under the impression that personal tokens and a lot of this stuff hadn't been tried before, but it had a lot of times um, over the years, even like, you know, on Bitcoin with like color coin, things like that. So um, like people, people have been trying to launch currencies for things before and it like eventually when things dip and they do eventually always dip, um, they get like hit the hardest basically and, you know, collapse on, under their own weight. So, but I, I also like, you know, my, my personal perspective on tokens is that like people are very like anchored to them in the sense of like old tokens. Um, but I think like migrating to new tokens and, and keeping things fresh is, is also like a good thing. Um, and like changing the utility of a, of a given token or making it useful for something else or evolving it. You know what I mean? I think we just have like very fixed views of, of tokens and um, that makes them like tricky, tricky to manage across time. Mm, that's interesting. I hadn't really considered that. Um, I want to dive into that actually. I guess before we do that, do you want to give just like a little bit of background for anyone who didn't hear the episode from a while back um, about you and what you're working on? And then I want to dive into that tokens as an evolving medium idea. I think that's really interesting. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm Mark. I'm one of the co-founders of a project called Myco. Um, we are a social network that like makes it really easy for groups of people to come together and like co-produce media. Um, you know, that leading to sort of any number of activities you want to do um, once you've built sort of a valuable brand for yourself. So we're kind of trying to facilitate those types of um, groups of people coming together, communities, um, and, you know, powering it with with crypto on the back end, but making it really easy to use for people who, who aren't super uh, deep in crypto. Um, so that's, that's Myco. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I love talking about sort of tokens um, in all their myriad of forms, because I think like, 
crypto is still figuring out a lot of stuff, like how to play with fire in the sense of like launching <laughs> tokens. And so there's just like, you know, um, it's, it's good to like learn from other people's mistakes, right? Yeah, 100%. And I think something that you brought up that I think is a cool dynamic is a lot of people who have seen several crypto cycles um, during the bull market, I think were very like, oh, that's been tried before. You know, people have done this. Here are the learnings from it. And I do think that this notion of thinking about tokens as like something that are it's evolutionary does kind of grant us a level of like flexibility of saying, yes, something's been tried before, but what if we tweaked this one thing and that actually totally changes the dynamic? So I, I think there's something cool to really allowing ourselves like the flexibility and freedom to play with different levers and like to your point, kind of see what works and what doesn't and, and fail almost yeah. so that we learn from it instead of being like, nope, that's been tried before. No one's going to do it again. You know? Right. End I completely, story. yeah, I no, I completely agree. I completely agree. And I think there are like, I remember there was a period, it was like, uh, like late 2020 around then, um, people were starting to launch a lot of like social tokens for like telegrams groups and things like that. And I remember, um, talking to some of the other people who had sort of been in the token community space, whatever, about this phenomenon. And we were all shocked because we had always assumed that like you should only launch a token for a community once that community like exists in some format. Um, and it seemed like a, a, a misstep to be launching the token so early. And like many of them, you know, succeeded and, and did quite well and, and um, like built valuable communities, um, you know. And so like that was like an interesting sort of, um, deviation from like the the sort of expected norms around the tokens that I think was meaningful because um, I still think like the you know there's just like we're we're all using the same patterns most of them echoes of like you know compound DAO right and um, there's just like tons of uh, iteration that can still be done in, in different formats. Yeah, I think that's a really great point in the context of. It feels like sometimes we have this desire to just put tokens in like a certain category and say, nope, this is the rule. This is how you should do it. Um, but they really are a medium that's like very flexible when it comes to, I think, not only how they can be used, but also the impacts of mm -hmm. using a token. I think Myco has like a very um, specific approach to this, which is – I don't want to say um, – opposite of the idea of launching a token and then bringing a community together. But it does feel like it's sort of the a very different approach, the sort of alternative approach. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we the big the big fork in the road seems to be around the idea of whether or not tokens should be sold. Um, if you imagine that there's like two types of communities, one community where their tokens are only held by members of that group who earn them um, and then a second community um, who who has like a potentially significant portion of its um, ownership to the token supply held by people who are like not admitted members of the community it's just like any any old person on on uniswap um, like the question is like which of these two communities like does better um, and i don't think there's like a single answer to this question but we are trying to ask to answer sort of the opposite side yeah the other side is <laughs> if we're going to continue with that uh with that <laughs> name um, we're trying the opposite side where we say okay well you know these things can't be traded they can't be sold uh, which makes like regulatory stuff a little bit easier um, but they can be rewarded to people uh, for doing work right and then you can start to 
um, imbue these things with like profit rights or like revenue rights. You can imagine that like I, um, if you are like hiring someone to help you do your podcast, you're actually giving them like a little bit of upside in the podcast itself. Um, and then um, if that podcast, if you ever start to make money or you get sponsorship revenue or whatever, you can like then just sort of like trickle that down to everybody who helped along the way. Um, but it means that like for people who are starting sort of media, um, you know, uh, companies or, 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 you know, enterprises, whatever brands, um, that they, it means that they don't have to have like the investment up front to like pay people to help them. You can just kind of come together and, and work together. Um, and so that is all possible because yeah, the tokens, like you're not, you're not selling a token. You know what I mean? There's no token price. There's no chart. Um, you don't worry about any of that stuff. Um, it's just like a simple way of, of sharing money among a group of people who are doing something. And then later on, when you've scaled, when you've like been around, then you can start to sell the token. That seems to be like a, a cleaner approach and also like more regulatory friendly, I think. Yeah, I think this this idea of thinking about ownership and um, sort of profit sharing in like a very clear way is really interesting to me because it feels like some of the more complex governance questions and complex questions around what gives a governance token value is like ultimately for, let's say, something like Uniswap, the ability to turn on the fee switch. Like there are a lot of right. people who would make the argument that that's what makes Uniswap um, – their token valuable. Mm -hmm. And from that perspective, you're basically saying um, what makes it valuable is the ability to potentially bring money back into the treasury, um, which you could use to either, you know, buy more uni or whatever. But ultimately, like, the basic argument seems to be that by having that governance power, you potentially have the ability to return value back to token holders. Mm -hmm. And that just feels like a very, um, it's a very complex system for actually quite a simple idea. And so I really like this notion of, hey, we're just going to say, especially for smaller orgs, like ownership is distributed. That could mean that you could have an upside in profit later. Um, by doing this early on, we're not giving someone something that has a dollar value on it, which is kind right. of nice. Right. Um, and that totally changes the psychology too of what it means to be an early contributor, which I know you, uh, Michael has a piece on Mirror about it that I would love to like hear your thoughts on about how that kind of changes some of the motivations um, early on when mm -hmm. you're contributing to these types of projects. Yeah, yeah. We, it was a kind of insight we only like stumbled into later when we were kind of working on this and we realized like w part of the thing that made uh, to like communities that had ownership, but not a price associated with it. Um, the thing that made it meaningful was like, it was, it felt extrinsically motivating when you were in it and you believed in it. But if you didn't believe in it, like if someone, imagine someone pitches you on equity in a company you don't believe in, that equity is worthless to you, right? But if it, like, if you, if you're pitched on something, you're like, wait a minute, I want to help on this. Suddenly that ownership in that project, like you, you realize why it's valuable and then it sort of becomes extrinsically motivating. And so um, it was like this kind of like weird insight. We realized like this was why it made the most sense to do this really early on because you still wanted to have some sort of filtration or or self-filtering um where people are only joining if they're like really values aligned if they like really see what you're doing if they like appreciate it they understand it versus um just like putting money in because it's like the hot thing to put money into or or, or anything like that um so anyway so that was kind of like the the way that we think about it um why why we like the the ownership early instead of uh instead of uh, instead of uh like selling a token yeah, I'm curious on – so something that comes up for me is when we think about 
ownership early on that doesn't have like a dollar value to it. Right. Um, I think the dynamic that that is sort of challenging there is that you kind of start to see only people who can afford to take the risk mm. of something, you know, potentially not being valuable ever in the future, mm-hmm. um, being something that they're putting time and energy towards. And so I'm curious how you think about um, making these types of opportunities available to people who like maybe don't have the risk appetite. And, and this is the same thing that I think about with like even people who are unpaid delegates in DAOs. It's like, well, mm-hmm. the people who have time to dedicate hours a week towards something that they're not being paid for are not really a good representation of everyone in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how you think about that dynamic. I know there's there's probably not an easy answer, but yeah, would love to hear your your approach to it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like a reality from a, you know, we think a lot about like the politics of ownership and like why it, why it matters. Right. And you're, what you highlight the sort of risk appetite difference, the fact that like people who aren't super well off around the world have to like, like can't afford to sort of like spend lots of time for free or in the hopes of something in the future. Uh, but there's this simultaneous fact that like doing that is the, like the only thing that ultimately helps you build like equity um, in like real upside is like actually um, like in like investing time and not getting wages in the short term, like in the trade off between like getting a wage versus getting equity. They like like taking more equity is like what builds long term wealth versus um, wages helping you sort of in the short term. And so like ultimately um, there's like a reality that like anybody who who uses Myco has to do that in their spare time. It's like not necessarily on day zero going to be your primary job, but hopefully it can like for people who are like working right now, right? Like you can imagine there's tons of people on, on Fiverr and stuff and, and, and um, Upwork who, who work for, for money um, imagining that they could augment that work and spend, you know, an hour a day out of like the eight hours they have like working for ownership. Um, that's like how you can start to build, um, like like real real equity in your in your work right and and in the impact that it has and so um, that's kind of like the pathway we see what that actually looks like practically of course like is is hard to know we're like onboarding people and and who are in those sort of situations and, and figuring it out but um, that's kind of roughly how we how we think about that yeah and I guess the alternative argument here too is that you know in the traditional world like if you wanted to build equity in an organization that could feasibly have really great returns later on and build wealth, you're probably looking at joining a startup. Like there are very Mm -hmm. few ways to build equity outside of that. Mm -hmm. And so there is something really interesting to your point about contributing to my go um, or to a community on my go sort of part-time and that kind of thing um, to saying like, hey, it might not be a perfect system, but at least it enables this sort of building of equity and wealth um, in a way that's way more feasible than like finding a full-time job at a startup where right. your entire bet is on that single company. Right. Um, and, you know, that's probably even less feasible. So I do think there's something interesting to sort of making this something that, uh, you know, the whole polyamory of work type mm-hmm. um, argument is like a very popular one in the in the DAO ecosystem, or at least last mm-hmm. year people were talking a lot about it. And it feels like this kind of enables some of that, which does feel like an unlock, um, at least in making it more accessible to people. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. That, that polyamory of work, I think, is definitely sort of, 
how I think about the future of work in terms of in five, 10 years, yeah, many people will be working for many different types of orgs simultaneously. And then certain people will be working for very few orgs, but like leading them. Um, and I think like in general, most people's like personal progression is that they start off contributing to orgs and then eventually realize there's more upside in, in starting their own. Um, and again, being able to own them, but um, yeah, we just want to make it easier for like groups to work together. Most of the time, like people are already trying to do this, right? Tons of people are making money on the internet, but you have to be able to do it alone um, to, to succeed right now. And so we're kind of trying to figure out a way to, to let you do it with other people. So it's a little bit easier. Making it multiplayer. We yeah, exactly. love that. So Michael, you said specifically thinking a lot about media right now mm-hmm. when it comes to like media style, these groups that are that are focused on like creating media. Is that a fair way to characterize it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're like thinking a lot about what we're calling content games. I don't know if that's like actually the right way to, to talk about this, but it's the best word we found because it's just like, you know, the ways that people come together and have sort of different types of conversations that are meaningful. Um, and so um, thinking about the different content games that like media production, like media producers are, are, are putting out, for example, like types of podcasts or types of formats of, of news articles. Um, Buzzfeed had a, a bunch of content games that they played, right? They, the, they had the lists, they had the surveys, they had all these different unique formats um, and they're just pumping them out. Um, and so it's like thinking about that, but in the context of multiplayer content games, right? Like what are the different group discussion type format um, interactions that like lead to, to meaningful and interesting like ideas to be shared or, or, or content to be created. Um, and then, you know, being able to pull things out of that and, and reuse it and, and repackage it um, and, and share it um, ultimately like in, in smaller pieces with, with the outside world. Um, recognizing that that's sort of a, by doing that, right. By, by creating content, by creating a brand um, that is ultimately the avenue to um, sort of do whatever you want on the internet, right? Like once you have a big brand, you can sort of, um, I think like Glossier, you know, turned into like a makeup company, you know, the Kardashians turned their social media fame into, a, you know, a multi-billion dollar family conglomerate. Um, you know, there's like plenty of things you can do when you have a, a huge media brand. Um, and so just like making it really easy for groups of people to come together and create those, those media brands. That's kind of like what we're, we're really, really interested in. Yeah. I almost feels like, it almost feels like there's a weird, gap in the the sort of market for media in my mind today mm. where you kind of have like these institutional players that are essentially playing the multiplayer game mm-hmm. and then a lot of people who are kind of stuck in single player mode mm-hmm. um where like there's, you know, I had Yancey Strickler on um, the podcast, which was a really fun episode. And part of it was just talking about how like being a creator is lonely because it's just you, you know, mm-hmm. like we don't, we don't really have a good mechanism today for, um, for making media multiplayer. But also I think, and Yancey argues this and I totally agree, like what that tends to create is kind of mediocre content over time where because you're not combining enough ideas with mm. with new ideas, like your own with new, you mm-hmm. kind of end up in like the same sort of thought chambers unless you really try to go outside of them. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wonder too, like, will making media more multiplayer at scale, hopefully, mm-hmm. um, just make content more interesting in general? I, I think you're totally right. I think you're totally right. I think you need the the fresh perspectives. I think like content, like diversity of perspective and diversity of, of like context 
within which people can view like the world, right? And share that view. Um, that's ultimately what leads to like the most interesting conversations on the internet, at least as I've seen. Um, and so, yeah, like if we can, if we can have Michael be a place for, for um, many different types of people and groups of people. Um, and we, we try to do that by making Michael really easy to use. Um, so you don't have to be like a crypto expert or, you know, really rich or anything like that. Um, and so by like, hopefully by doing that, um, we can like invite as many different people as possible to, yeah, to like co-create co-create their media there's like a ton of people i don't know we we see it there's like so many people trying to like make it on like instagram or or tiktok or the, the podcast whatever they're all doing it alone and it's it seems like very obvious that if like you could just pair them off or into into sets of three um they could all like come together and produce like incredibly valuable media companies many of them more valuable than like the large networks that we see right now the media networks um but you just need like a really simple way for them to, to do that. Um, and also I think there's a lot of people who are like afraid of thinking about their, their media in a sort of professional sense, right? Like people who love creating content, but like are, don't necessarily think about themselves as like media companies when that is, I suppose, technically what they are. Yeah. I mean, we were talking before this and I was saying like the more that I think about the media that I produce and try to like, you know, intentionally and, and not think about the content, but think more about like, how should I strategize things around the podcast? The more I just like totally miss the mark, <laughs> <laughs> which makes me think that part of it too is like, how do we, how do you think about building a media brand or like what Yancey would call a meta label, which mm -hmm. maybe like people building communities with Myco are sort of building meta labels in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, without making it, I don't know, it's almost like, it's actually almost like the extrinsic motivation argument where the moment that you're doing it for a reason that's not intrinsic motivation is the moment that it sort of breaks. And mm. I don't think it's directly extrinsic or intrinsic motivation with regards to media, like directly, but it's almost like you're doing something to optimize. Maybe it is. Maybe you're doing something to optimize for the followers or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, so there's something really interesting too about what it really means to like focus on media independently versus with people. Maybe doing it with people makes it – makes you less likely to like over-optimize for something that's just a vanity metric. I don't know. Yeah. I Yeah. I mean it's we're, – we're trying to figure it out. The, the big question is like do we want to – reward people every time they post? Do we want to reward people more if their posts get more likes? Um, or do we not want to do that? Do we want to reward everybody the same amount, even if their post ends up being our like most liked and shared or like the least, right? And those are like important questions because those incentives will ultimately shape the behavior of the people who, who use the social network, right? And so, um, yeah, like we do think that there's a degree to which like getting paid if your content is good is uh like not an evil i don't want to say evil but like not a not a rule breaking um like it, it's sort of like having fun while you're also working right like there is a there is a middle ground where you where people are there for an extrinsic motivation but not but their actions are still not shaped by the incentives because they're getting paid the same amount regardless of what they do basically um and so like that there's a really great like uh, slate star codex um article actually that my co-founder aria uh, shared with me a couple days ago about about like slack and the way that like when you create 
um, like slack within systems, people stop optimizing so much and, and the people not optimizing can continue to experiment and do like interesting and strange things. Um, and I think to your point, those interesting and strange things are ultimately what, like what matters, what like leads to like spontaneity on the internet and, and like great, ultimately like great content, things that people want to see. Um, right. And so like, I, I do think there's like a degree to which, um, we can like shape this stuff without totally ruining it. Um, it's, it's hard, but like we're, we're trying to walk that path. (laughs) Yeah. It always reminds me of that one. I never excelled in physics or chemistry or whatever, but the whole thing of like, if you observe an electron or something, it changes, you know, the way that it acts. Um, but I also want to just like, when it, when it comes to Myco as an actual platform, because I feel like we never actually, we didn't actually cover this. Mm. Um, is Myco itself a, a social platform that these communities will exist on, or is it like a layer below? It, it, it can technically be both. Um, we have this like entire social sort of experience that we've built um, that is in theory uh, able to like replace a discord um, where people are making posts um, and like sharing content in like different rooms, but um, it revolves more around the idea of like a feed similar to like a Twitter. Um, and then you have like threaded replies kind of like Reddit. Um, but we've kind of like combined all this stuff and made it just like really, really, really easy for any group of people to share content in like different types of rooms, which like we think of as like different sort of content games. Um, and then ultimately uh, be able to have that be like a repository that um, then can in some capacity feed into um, the rewards that you get for um, you know, for contributing, um, to, to the production of the, of the media. Um, what that, what that, again, what that looks like, we don't really know, but, um, that's kind of like what it's, what it's shaping into. Yeah. I think there's something to me that's very interesting about the relationship between media and ownership Mm -hmm. where I'm not convinced that media itself is like, especially interesting to own in the context of like, I own a tweet. Yes, I agree that like individual pieces of media are not valuable. Yes, I agree. Information is free. That's like the tricky part. Memes are free. Memes are most valuable when they're free. And so like, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it's like, and I think that's like what a lot of people in the NFT space talk about with NFTs where it's like, you can take a picture of it. You can like CC zero, all that stuff is like the best memes are, are like, not owned by anyone. But I do think in the context of content, you are owning a brand, i.e. a set of channels where people like trust you because you are constantly sharing them stuff that they like, stuff that they're interested in, stuff they agree with or teaches them something. You know what I mean? Um, and, and that like off of that relationship, that's where you sort of like can can exist in, in a lot of different ways as like a, a business um, in, in the world. Um, but it, but you're, it's because you're creating a valuable brand, not because like the media pieces themselves are necessarily valuable in any like explicit sense. Right. Like I, I don't know if I'm just thinking this because I'm, I've been thinking a lot about legitimacy and, you know, mm-hmm. Vitalik's whole thing about legitimacy a while back, but mm-hmm. it feels like the brand is the thing that has legitimacy. Like it's never the piece of media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. There's something really interesting, I think, about building equity in that brand and what it actually means. And I think like this feels to me like the thing that no one has quite cracked the shell on when it comes mm. to Web3 social mm. because it's still unclear what it means then to own a brand. And like nouns is probably an interesting 
early – something that we'll end up pointing to as a very early example of what it looks like to own and manage a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that, because of the way that it's set up, is has like some – very specific elements that make that possible where mm-hmm. people have spent 90 ETH on a noun. So they're not going to let the brand completely get diluted. Yeah. It's like, this, it's, I saw a joke on Twitter the other day where it's like, uh, uh, it's like a pay to work is, is, um, <laughs> is nouns, the nouns now pay, pay to work. And it, which I think is great for the record. Like, I think it's a cool project. It's interesting to see people all coming together to coordinate around like, sharing the idea of like commons and the meme of like uh, creative commons content. Um, but yeah, like to your, to your question of like valuable brands, like how, how does that accrue value? And, and is that like a scalable model um, is, is unclear or less clear, I think. And it's always interesting to me when I think about like what it means to build a valuable brand I always come back and and what it means to own the media around a brand and that kind of stuff. I always come back to this question of ownership in Web3 is one thing. I don't know if distribution platforms can ever be fully decentralized Hmm. because like very naturally – I mean unless you have distribution platforms that are super, super – like hyper local mm-hmm. and actually like disincentivize social capital being built at a large scale. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually pretty hard when we think about media to imagine like a truly decentralized distribution platform. Yeah, I mean I my approach is very like uh you should share your media everywhere like i think that's like right like that's kind of the whole point is like share on all platforms wherever anyone might be interested um i think that's the key with distribution is like it it should be you want to be like on as many places as you can as easily as possible um and so i think like yeah there will always be centralized and decentralized things i think like tools and stuff i think the reality is just like the decentralized ones are harder to lock into for people who don't know anything about crypto. And so that just like is an impedance. Um, but I think like over time that probably changes. And so more people move to, to different networks. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like to, to, to your earlier point though, like we kind of think about Myco as like a place where media is like uh, dropped or like, uh, like hoarded basically in these codes and then ultimately like pumped out and shared like across the rest of the web in many different places, some of which may be centralized or decentralized um, in like many different formats, kind of like um, that's like the sort of output of the of the community. Yeah. And an interesting element of that system is that you kind of have like a private production space in some ways. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Like there's a privacy layer to your community, which I mm-hmm. hadn't really considered. Yeah. The other way that we built it is that different rooms, of course, have like different privacy layers as well for different roles. So like creators can make posts for only other creators or only for treasurers or anything like that. Um, so there's it's like very much a sort of onion model of, of community. Um, and then you can make that sort of outer layer as open or closed as, as you want. Um, but yeah, it does ultimately like invite a degree of of. Uh, a back office or like behind the scenes sort of compilation um, because I do think there's a degree to which like that can't happen in public. It's hard to be like, you can't, perf- you're like either performing or it's like a candid, it's like not both. Um, it like can't be both, which I think is kind of what you were pointing at earlier with the, the observation, you know, Heisenberg uh, principle. 
Yeah. And there's something – so this kind of reminds me of Twitter circles where mm. you can invite different people into your circle. And um, Dame tweeted the other day that they noticed that they weren't tweeting – they weren't really using Twitter circles basically because like when you go on Twitter, you – sort of get into the mind space of this is going to be public information Mm -hmm. or maybe if you have an account that's private, maybe that's the way that you go into it. But like context really matters. Mm -hmm. And so it does kind of make me think like, and, and I guess on Slack and discord and places like that, you do have different contexts through different Mm -hmm. channels, though Mm -hmm. oftentimes they're viewable by like everyone. Mm -hmm. It does make me think like what, how different will our brains be um, you know, five years from now where maybe we have these more context-specific circles on the internet that we exist within mm-hmm. and how will that shift happen? Because it feels like that is there, – there is some change that needs to happen from the way that we approach um, these types of platforms mm-hmm. in order to like really leverage these context-specific um, sort of sharing platforms. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great, a great. It's a great question. I, 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 I think that like we are learning, just like we're learning with the playing with fire with like launching tokens. I think the same principle is also true with social media in general and like what it means to create and consume it. Um, and so I think like in the long run, the both the media and like the people producing it, like the ones that succeed over time, are the ones that like make people better, not worse. Um, right. So mm-hmm. like a social network that isn't incentivized to like keep you sitting there for many, many, many hours of the day, but um, tries to like make you into the best version of yourself, which I have heard TikTok does. I've heard people use TikTok in this way to like become better versions of themselves, which I think is like a great way to use social media. Um, but I think we're like still learning how to use it. And I think that also is true on the on the production side where we're, again, still learning how to do that as well. And so um, I think like how that ends up affecting us is totally up in our hands, but we just need to figure out the right way to use it um, such that like we're growing because of the content that we consume and and produce rather than um, like shrinking, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of this whole trope of like the person who uses Twitter the most is probably the least happy or the least (laughs) stable. Yeah. There is something like there's a weird adverse relationship between um, attention grabbing and like content that makes people better. And I don't know, it, that is the one, one of the few things that like really disturbs me about the internet is mm-hmm. that you can use TikTok, um, for like really good things. And I think TikTok as a platform is like pretty unique in the way that they approach a lot of different things. And, and I think it's a platform that's actually much better positioned for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something like Twitter is like actually weirdly darker um, and same mm-hmm. with Discord. Like they can be, I don't know, something about the way, and maybe TikTok can be this way as well, but something about the way that that these platforms are architected and, and attention um, is grabbed, I think can mm-hmm. sometimes make them a lot darker people are more cynical i think on twitter that's what i imagine and maybe discord Mm. as well because it's like a private space maybe even more so because like they're sort of like talking in private i don't know humans love to gossip and so like give us a like without showing your face without showing any pictures like it's just text maybe that's like we just like default to you know talking crap about each other (laughs) i don't know i don't know um but yeah it, it definitely is interesting the way that the the 
the platform like shapes you. And I, but I think there's also a degree to which like small piece form, like piecemeal content can be like ultimately a gateway into bigger, deeper things for people who are interested in it. Right. And so I think like, you know, having, you can imagine like a, a, what starts as like a long essay that gets broken up into like a Twitter thread and that Twitter thread, the tweets get, you know, repurposed as like Instagram images and then, you know, TikToks are made out of, you know what I mean? And so it's like, you can imagine that like the content sort of splits out into all these like smaller bite-sized pieces, but ultimately as long as there are references to like the the next step up or like the original thing, then you can, you can like go down that rabbit hole. You can like find the whole story and, and like read a full like business essay about some idea that you just saw a TikTok about, you know what I mean? So like, that's how I imagine like the, 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 the tiny, like what I think of as like the McDonald's French fries versions of content, like making mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily terrible as long as it's like leading to bigger things. And you're making it really easy for people to kind of go down those rabbit holes and like learn more. Yeah, 100%. And I think a lot of like my – I think most of my darker <laughs> takes on the internet come from watching projects like Milady and others that are sort of using – I mean there there's a lot to unpack on Milady stuff, but um, supposedly using these platforms to sort of demonstrate like very specific mm, points mm -hmm. and some of that can get – very dark. And so I think probably ultimately the the end realization of that is just that technology, like any other thing, can be used for good and bad. Mm -hmm. um, modularity probably makes it a lot more memeable. Mm -hmm. I, that's, that's a weird – modularity is a weird word. But like the little French fry style content I think is probably um, mm -hmm. a lot of modularity. And mm -hmm. the idea of, I think, empowering people to build these like media collectives that can – really do like amazing things, probably also very dark and mm. bad things, mm. um, might just mean that the internet is a, a force for good and evil. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's true. I think like, you know, there's a, there's a way in which like people on the internet, especially when you're on Twitter where people are, you know, performing to a certain degree and the lines between like performance art and, other things start to get like very blurry, um, which like, you know, tends to become like very problematic usually. Um, I think like in the Milady case, it, it ended up becoming problematic and there's been some others in the NFT space as well. Um, and so like, you know, I think it's, it's like, it's tough when people, uh, you know, really feel a lot of intention behind a, a, uh, I don't know, like a doctrine or, or their, you know, their tribe and, and things start to, you know, that like the affiliation you have to that tribe on the internet ends up being such a powerful motivator for you that it, it like, um, I, I don't know. It seems like an unnecessarily powerful motivator. Um, we ascribe like a, a lot of meaning to, to these things where, um, to these like performance art, uh, <laughs> pieces that, um, like shouldn't be. Yeah, from the from the performer side, and then I think maybe even a little bit from the from the audience side, where like giving these things attention or even thinking about them um, only like serves to magnify them. Like not thinking about them at all is like actually the, the sort of like best reaction we can have. Yeah, there's and there's probably a lot to be said about what it means to have belonging, which I actually think when you think about like TikTok versus Twitter, I think Twitter actually creates a stronger sense of belonging and mm. tribalism. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Whereas TikTok is like individual creators. And like even the notion of replies on Twitter is very discussion based. Mm -hmm. Whereas you can reply to comments in TikTok, but TikTok isn't a platform at this point at least that is like community oriented in, mm-hmm. in the way that Twitter is. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, I'm not sure that it's like meant to be. I think there's a degree to which like, you know, TikTok is for like audience performer type interactions. And it's like a specific, you know what I mean? It's like a specific way of, and people can, you know, reply to the video and, and see each other's replies, whatever. But like ultimately everybody's still there for that video. Um, that's like what drew them there in the first place. You have like a big headliner. And so, um, I think like that kind of media production and consumption will probably never go away. Um, it'll just be like augmented by sort of like more community type context as well. Those communities, hopefully like producing their own, um, you know, their own, their own media. Yeah. And that, and that gets back into this whole distribution platform question, which is interesting. There's yeah. a lot of, I think there's a lot of dynamics at play and I'm very excited to see how Web3 Social continues to evolve, especially when it starts to be made more local. So I'm super excited about like what Myco's is working on. Um, before we wrap up, where can people learn more about Myco, what you're putting out, um, and you? Um, I mean, I think in terms of Myco, you know, if you want to just go to myco.space, by the time this podcast is live, I assume we will have a, a, a updated landing page that uh, shows you really clearly like what Myco is and, and how it works. But um, also we have a bunch of content that's coming out. Um, and of course you can just sign up um, and you can check it out yourself, um, post an introduction, uh, tell us who you are and, and how you found us. And um, yeah, lots of people kind of just hanging out, uh, dumping content. Um, so yeah, we'd love to, we'd love to see you there. Um, and then in terms of myself, I mean, yeah, I'm on Myco. Um, that's like the best place to talk to me. I, that's the inside of my brain. So um yeah, but thank you. Thank you very much for having me. This has been a, an incredible conversation. Very like wide ranging, but yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah, this was so fun. Thanks for coming on the show. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.